Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why didn't you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Giant Size Heroes. It is number 26, and this is it. It's the Halloween episode. Ooh, spooky Ooh. comics and content and movies and television. <laughs> Imagine we... Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, let's get right into it. The spookiest news of all, uh, I'm declaring it because it's the first thing on my list. But, you know, he's got some uh, skeletons in his closet. Please welcome... Max Lord. We learned this week that the villain, or I'm assuming he's the villain. I mean, come on. Of Wonder Woman 1984 is the one, the only, Max Lord. That has sent a lot of people's brains running in a particular direction, and I'm just going to get out there in front of it. I hope that is not what's happening in, I hope that the most famous interaction between Wonder Woman and Max Lord is not present in this movie. I don't think it will be, because it's uh, Patty Jenkins, and I feel like she knows how to trick people and what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, also, the rest of the story can't possibly happen because of the other people involved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't, yeah, I feel like that's a thing. I also have a new theory about Wonder Woman, which might tie into this. Ooh. I think the reason Wonder Woman got pushed is because I think Joker is the first Elseworld movie, and I think the next one's a Wonder Woman. Interesting. I think the reason it takes place in 1984 is that's a new universe where we're getting – I think the reason Steve Trevor's alive is because it's an Elseworld. I think that all of Wonder Woman 1984 takes place in a different Wonder Woman than we've met. You can't see the glassy stare I have right now. <laughs> Uh, it explains how he's back. It explains, uh, you know, the timing. It explains the setting. It could give us an entire. I, what if? It, wow. Okay. Joker just did it. What if Wonder Woman resets continuity so they can build the new Trinity from an, from that universe? You've got the Batman, a new Batman. You've got Henry Cavill, effectively not Superman. Effectively, I hope he's back. But if he's not, so you do an Elseworld Wonder Woman, and that lays the groundwork for a new shared universe. So that's a fascinating idea, and it works in some ways because we already have sort of a lot of broader universe questions about what she's been doing in between and why when we meet her in Justice League and Batman v Superman, she's like a museum curator. (laughs) The sword Uh, raises more questions than answers. A lot of things going on there. Uh, But, I mean, I can't get over the fact that what it throws away is the movie of history and interaction that we saw uh, her have, and specifically with Steve, like the development in the first movie. Has anybody done this, like, sequel with the same people but not a sequel because we're starting over? I don't know, but it'd be a cool... I I, I love seven-eighths of Wonder Woman. So I would not mind if we got a new one so that last eighth was... Like, we'll always have Wonder Woman. It's like, it's like, a, uh, it's like a reboot. You can always watch the first one. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that we get to keep Gal Gadot. Gal, Gal Gadot? I don't know how to I say it. I think that. it's Gadot. Gadot? Gal Gadot? I'm not 100% on that. I keep checking and then forgetting again. I keep hearing new 
versions. Gal Gadot, <laughs> uh, we get to keep her as our Wonder Woman, but we also get to have her interact with Robert Pattinson and whoever ends up playing Superman in a way that doesn't – I think it would be interesting. And like this is just literally a coy tinfoil hat theory. I just had it this week. Yeah, I, I have infinite faith in Patty Jenkins. So if that's what they're doing, I, know, I feel it will work. Uh, but it is just an interesting like – it would be a pretty big choice not to build on the foundation of what they did in the first movie and what we know Diana experienced because, like, you know, I don't think Wonder Woman is a perfect movie, but it is easily in my top ten of all time because the things it does are so extraordinary and so well executed. No Man's Land is one of the best superhero scenes, period. Hard it stop. just is. <laughs> uh, it's, it's called filmmaking, and they did it real well. The boat scene is one of my favorite scenes in the DC Pantheon. The boat scene is, is everything. Yeah, and that would be the thing is if you wipe that away. Now, granted, we might end up with a middle ground where a lot of theories about, like, is this Steve real? Is he the same guy? All of this stuff. So to a certain extent, we are obviously not building directly on the previous movie because that guy <laughs> lived in World War I uh, and then didn't live in World War <laughs> uh, You know, you saw the movie. Uh, I hope I'm not spoiling it for you. Uh, but yes, okay, spooky answer. He's the ghost. He's uh, the he's ghost. Just gonna I'm uh, In the future where she's immortal and he's back from the dead. I would say, if I had to guess, I would say that softly they get to do what they want with this. So in an unofficial way, it probably is her chance to rebuild from the ground up. But I don't expect that it will be fully an alternate universe where she's not the Diana we saw in the other movie because I expect that they will build uh, a sense of continuity out of that. I think it would be really cool to use the good graces of trusting her origin that we got to experience but not having that necessarily be the new Diana's path. Like I think it would be – and this is like I said. I have no foundation here. I would think it would be a really bold take and I want to see Robert Pattinson and Gal Gadot and I want it to make sense. (laughs) Otherwise, how does it make sense? It's going to be interesting for sure. Now, we think that uh, it is almost certainly the case that Max Lloyd is, in fact, who Pedro Pascal is playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she tagged him in the photo. She also tagged Gal Gadot. Uh, I, think, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, I think he will be a great Max Lord. That's the twist. Gal Gadot is Max Lord. Yeah, there we go. And Pedro Pascal him. is Wonder Woman. It's going to be great. He's going to look great in that skirt. <laughs> uh so I'm, I think he's going to be a really fun choice for that. I love watching him do things. Uh, he's a great actor. Max Lord has a specific cheesy 80s business vibe that <laughs> I do want to – I want to comment on how much I love the choice of panel that Patty used in her social media for this announcement because it harkened back specifically to the 80s history of Max Lord, uh, to the the side of him that like – isn't outright necessarily evil, but you can't trust him, and he's shifty, and he's selfish, and he's actually going to get involved with the Justice League for a while, but ultimately you cannot trust that guy, uh, but in a in-it-for-himself way, which makes him a perfect foil for Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. uh, who is, you know, never in it for herself. So I'm really excited about this, and I just want to talk about Wonder Woman more. Do you have anything <laughs> else to add? Or you... uh, I mean, I already I went on a five-minute rant about how it's an Elseworld, so I've already, got, <laughs> I've already taken enough time with my crazy today, but what if? What if, indeed. Uh, Patty Jenkins, please make seven more movies. Some of them can be Elseworlds. Just <laughs> bring it on. I, I, I am curious if they really did take the extra time just to work on the movie or because they were nervous or whatever's going on. It is very interesting to imagine the alternate past where it was happening right now. Uh, they would be very strange whiplash to go from Joker right to Wonder Woman and then to Birds of Prey. But we're getting Joker and then Birds of Prey. And then next summer, at last, I can stop using the future tense about the movie and uh, just enjoy the sequel to Wonder Woman that I'm so excited is getting made. Now, speaking of Elseworlds and might-have-beens, we got some really interesting information this week via the writers of Endgame about things that did not but could have happened in that movie. Uh, Two of the big takeaways. This was, I think, a comicbook.com interview that they sat down for. And two of the most interesting takeaways from it were that there was a version of events that might have had Nova as the Herald. Yeah. Uh, which is very fascinating, uh, and that there was a version of events that could have come to pass where Rhodey is the vice president. So cool. Yeah. Especially the Iron Patriot stuff they went with, and, and I think John Cheadle's fantastic. Uh, Don Cheadle should get to play the vice president more often. Don Cheadle uh, could be the vice president. I would could. That. I mean, I'm, I, you got my vote, Don. I don't think you vote for vice presidents, but if you did. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I uh, yeah, I think this is a great little Elseworld. I think it's a great idea. I see why they didn't do it because that movie was not empty. Uh, and a lot going on. Those, those some moving parts. And even uh, like I would have loved Nova as a herald, but for storytelling economy, having 
having Hulk take the place of so Silver cool. Surfer made a lot of sense. And I, yeah, I don't want Nova introduced haphazardly, so I'm okay with this because I want Nova. So in my wanting Nova, I would rather wait. Yeah, but if they had introduced him there, he'd be teed up for an MCU series right now. He'd be right there. But we would have – I think it would have disoriented a lot of non-comic fans. It would They'd be like, who's Nova? And I'd be like, oh, no, this is a long conversation. <laughs> so I, I want Nova to be introduced with – I want him to just have a series from the jump. And I think there's an audience enough that you can do him that way. Um, yeah, I'm ready. Bring on Nova. Also, I think I've been discussing Endgame as if it is both the movies Infinity War and Endgame because that's how I think of them. So please assign the comments to whatever movie they are appropriate. Whatever, whichever canon, that is the one she's speaking to. Uh, we got some more information about upcoming movies, and it's mostly just a, I don't know, actors have to talk to people sometimes, and then we all get real excited about the things we say. But they're in the middle of making The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's follow-up slash reinvention slash reboot of uh, Suicide Squad. And uh, Joel Kinnaman is on the PR circuit, and he was talking to Variety, and he was praising specifically the comedy elements. He's written a fantastic script, the actor said. It's so funny. I feel like I'm shooting my first comedy. There are a lot of really funny people there. It's like a learning experience. I'm around a lot of incredibly funny people. Now, my take on this personally is that uh, the emphasis on the comedy in this comment is specific to Joel Kinnaman saying this was a really fun opportunity to stretch comedy muscles I haven't used before. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the entire movie is like comedy, although I would not be surprised if this is a very funny movie because James Gunn is setting us up uh, for that don't get attached. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's, that's funny. That's not a serious drama way to approach Suicide, the Suicide Squad. Clearly, it's going to be funny. James Gunn has a good time being funny, and Joel Kinnaman is accurate. There's a lot of really funny people uh, on this cast. What's your read, Coy? James Gunn made Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, one could not argue that movie isn't funny, and one could also not argue that movie is a comedy per se. Like, it's a sci-fi, it's a space opera with comedic elements, but it's very funny. I expect so, the Suicide Squad will be an action comedy. Yeah, so I, I expect it to be something that is both comedic and another genre. In this case, probably <laughs> action or heist or something of that ilk. Um, I don't think Joel Kinnaman has been in many comedies. I won't say none because I can't think of his whole entire filmography. But I don't think of Joel Kinnaman as a comedic actor. So I could definitely... I was trying to say, he feels like this is his first... Yeah, Solid so sort of comedy. So. If I saw something that's 40% comedy and I'd never done comedy, that's, that is a fair statement. The internet lost its mind over this, so I, I definitely want to – seen a lot of people oh, I may like, have missed some of the reactions to that. I mean the first movie already had a lot of jokes. Comedic elements? Yeah. Uh, it just – the people that want to be mad at James Gunn had a way to be mad at James Gunn because they were like, oh, he's going to ruin this too because he's making it – he's marvelizing the DC universe. He's made a comedy. Like, well, it's I, – I did DC movie news and I didn't see yeah. all the Yeah. I recently rewatched uh, Superman the movie. I rewatched it this weekend uh, because it's always a good time to rewatch it and I did have to stop and laugh at like the fact that there's always been jokes. Yeah. Jokes in movies. J- did popular. you know that when you're watching a movie it's more enjoyable if you're not in pain? <laughs> I uh, personally it's a thing I enjoy. Uh, I mean sometimes being sad is fun too. In I, a different way. The Joker made me nauseous and I saw it three times. But <laughs> I, I definitely think that uh, people need to let the movie exist first. So I, I think this t- statement was taken out of context because of the person saying it and mm-hmm. I'm very excited for the comedic elements of uh, this movie and I'm actually excited to see Joel Kinnaman have some fun. Yeah. Like I feel bad for the guy. Like his Rick Flag was so like grizzled and then Robocop was like I'm a robot man and I just I feel like the guy's always this straight like grizzled dude. <laughs> One thing I love about uh, – I've never obviously worked with James Gunn, but I do love the way that his cast and crew talk about working with him mm. because it says a lot to me that they seem to have a good time working with him. I think that counts for something. I've, uh, I've there met are James... famous directors who make amazing art who are not <laughs> fun to be around. Yeah. Uh, history of film is full of them. And I think uh, points if you are not one of those. I've met him a few times and he's a blast. Mm. Uh, I've been at parties with him and he's a really funny dude. And he's really quippy like – when you like when you talk to Bendis, he is very fast, and that's why he writes the way he does. Guns similar to where when you're talking to him, you're like, "Oh, I get why your characters are funny. You funny." So uh, <laughs> I, I imagine working on a set with someone that quippy and fast, and everything would be amazing. So yes. Yeah. All right, you want to take this next one? I feel like uh, Ryan Reynolds. Speaking of funny, <laughs> speaking of fast, speaking of awesome to be around, uh, Ryan Reynolds reacted to the Joker being the number one R-rated movie of all time in true Ryan Reynolds fashion. A lot of people would say in true Deadpool fashion, but no, no, they're the same. (laughs) 
the R-rated box office uh, congratulatory post was a tweet saying, R-rated box office congratulatory posts aren't like the ones you're used to. It is a poster of the Joker, and instead of where it says Joker, it says, you mother beep. And then the stairs read the poor fallen soldiers that was left in the wake of the Joker. It says Deadpool, Neo, Pennywise, Jesus, Hugh Jackman, the Wolfpack, Mr. Gray, and Ted, who are all, of course, members of the top 10 R-rated films of all time. Oh, thank you, Ryan, you magnificent beast. Uh, it's just, I want this poster. Like, <laughs> I already wanted the Joker poster, but now I want the You Mother Beast. You want po- the Deadpool like, Ice Joker version. Uh, and yes. this is so canon. Like, I can see this being a joke in a comic a Deadpool comic. 100%. Because that's where he lives. That's Ryan's space in the universe, and I love him for it. Uh, yeah, this makes me really happy. And there's a little heart above Deadpool. Yeah, and any, like, good-natured Deadpool jokes are, are the space where I completely get it. <laughs> like, the, uh... This is all love, but yeah. it's got an F word in it. Yeah, and uh, that's fine, because that's what, what it's uh, the already movie celebration. So, yeah, uh, I, I this had to – there's not much to say about it, but it's not like we could skip it because it was just delightful. Uh, Amy captioned this as, Koi deserves nice things, and then the link, <laughs> and it's true. Uh, also, I want to give some love to Zazie Beats, who is in the number one and number two R-rated movie of all time Ooh. because she is in both Joker and Deadpool 2. Yeah. And I want to give some love to Zoe Saldana for being in the number one and number two movie of all time because she is in both Avatar and Avengers Endgame. Heck yeah, so so pretty cool that those two chicks are the only two that cross over both because that's really rad. And I hope they had even a half percent point in the back end. <laughs> this is money that you get for the, the contingent on the success of the movie as opposed to the money they pay you up front to do the work of being in the movie. Famously, Jack Nicholson made all the money off Batman because he uh, got not only money up front but had a large percentage of the back end and a toy deal, which is unheard of in modern Hollywood. But Jack Nicholson was of the movie star era and made more money off the Joker than most countries have. <laughs> I wonder if he gets a cut of, like, all Joker things now. Can you imagine? Does it, I mean, is, is Jack Nicholson sitting at home having a very good day right now? <laughs> well, Michael Uslan was credited as a producer on Joker because he owns the character of Batman. He has uh, locked down those rights many, many years ago, spent 10 years trying to get the movie made. Michael Uslan has an incredible story that you should definitely look into, uh, but it does result in very, very interesting permanent things like this. Also, sweetest man, uh, Michael Uslan is the best. Uh, him, he was very kind. Yeah, I've met him in a few things, and he's he like he's the kind of guy that goes to panels of his friends, sits and takes photos, and then shows them the photos after, and he owns Batman. So I, whenever I see that kind of integrity in someone that is that... Like, well, he says he owns Batman, and this means that he has sort of a permanent involvement in adaptations of Batman for film and other media as a result of those deals struck. He does not literally own Batman, just uh, to put that out there. He makes money off Batman, <laughs> and he takes pictures of his friends at their panels. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's what I mean. I just I hope that... Uh, I wish more exceedingly uh, successful people were that nice to their friends. <laughs> yeah, speaking of uh, James Gunn being fun to work with and Michael Uslan being very kind. And Ryan uh, Reynolds being the best. These are all very successful people that are great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of very successful people that I think are must be probably great. Oh, I was skipping stories. Well, hopefully these two as well. <laughs> um, uh, we got a very cool, thank you, Collider.com. On our .com side, Heard a long them. process interview came out with Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix uh, that Frosty did. Where they decided to to have a conversation together, which was a really fun to read uh, the transcript of this interview because it spoke a lot to their rapport. Was there any big takeaways from this one for you, Corey? Uh, I really enjoyed one. I really liked this was a long form interview because uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I feel so bad for that man. Uh, the four-minute interview junket thing is hard on anyone, but I feel like he's such an actor's actor that it's even worse for him. Uh, like people coming in and being like, why do you laugh that way? And he's like, I just answered that, and I also don't like to talk about my process. So for me, this is great to see a full sit-down with both of them, and you can tell their like relationship is so good. They're really comfortable with each other. Um, the piece itself is just – it's an insight into the movie making process. Like you kind of feel like you're on set with them and you hear actual stories. So uh, just I, I, yeah, just read it. It's, yeah, it's, we're gonna just we're just plugging this interview. Yeah, this just, is a plug. I will say I'll call out my favorite part of this interview was when uh, you know, and I don't know either of these people in person, but my favorite part of this interview was. Todd Phillips trying to praise Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> realizing just... it made Joaquin Phoenix really uncomfortable and going, I'm not allowed to say this in front of him. Now I wish they were separate interviews, uh, but let's just say he's great. And then, like, uh, sweetly moving on because that that was just neat to read. That, lo- like, friendship and camaraderie, that kind of element. I, I am always here for people 
uh, praising their collaborators. I think that's dear and endearing. Yeah, I totally agree. And they're, that's what I was talking about. They're the rapport. I think they're they're a fantastic duo, and I want to see them work together on something again, <laughs> Joker 2 or otherwise, because I definitely think their their sensibilities suit each other. Okay, and now for the transition I thought I was making a moment ago. <laughs> uh, but uh, two more people I hope work together many, many, many times are Damon Lindelof and Nicole Castle or Cassell. I you pronounced have my checked. name wrong. What? I want to work with Damon Lindelof all the time. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, please invite both of us to hang out with you two, Damon Lindelof and Nicole Castle or Cassell, uh, Cassell, who directed the first two episodes of Watchmen and has directed the final episode, which none of us have seen yet. Uh, she did a, a, a nice long interview also on thecollider.com uh, talking about approaching HBO's Watchmen show as a director and about the work that they have done now that we have seen two of her three episodes directing um, and about her involvement in the project and what she wanted out of it and what she's excited about about the material and what her relationship to it has been uh, and I thought this was a great read Corey, absolutely uh, I, I have a hard time with long form interview takeaways because I read them as a, as a unit um, mm, yeah. I love her perspective on directing uh, I like that she could. You can tell she was into the comic, but in a different way than Damon was. So their collaborative like nature worked. Yes. Uh, and her directing style is so beautifully suited for Watchmen because it's cinematic, but it's also really nerdy. Uh, it's 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 the details really care. Like there's a lot of care in the details. Uh, the symmetry, the the use of circles, all those things, and the way she speaks is as analytical as her directing style. Mm-hmm. Um, so the interview itself is just like it's an insight into the person. Uh, so yeah, she that, referenced beautiful like world building and detail. And all of the stuff that, A, you absolutely need, like Dave Gibbons uh, did this on the original comics. There's incredible deep world building in every piece of every panel of Watchmen. So you need that kind of approach if the thing that you're making is going to have any relationship to it, Mm -hmm. which I really loved. But I also love that she threw a shout out to other similar kinds of approaches and specifically the apparently like 500 page story Bible for Black Panther for the world and the rules of the world, which sounds incredible. Uh, But you know what? That's how you get them Oscars. Yeah. And I would like to see that. And putting all this beautiful effort into it and also being geniuses. So do that. Do all those things. Beautiful effort and deep dives. Have you watched Dolomite is My Name? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, Ruthie Carter did the costumes. And there was a moment where I was like, this is just so good. And then I looked at her name and I was like, well, duh. (laughs) And it was a really funny moment of like when you see creatives that you admire and you think specifically like, this is great. Oh, of course. You're like, this is suspiciously great. I think this is specifically good in many ways. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Dolomite My Name, fantastic, but also beautiful costumes. All praise. Ruthie Carter. She's fantastic. Um, She, of course, is the costume designer from Black Panther who won an Oscar for it. uh, and is friggin' great. She did win that one, right? Yeah. I'm not making that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was nominated for several, and it won most of them. I'm just trying to make sure I get that right. Fair enough. Uh, people who completely rule, and while we're talking about the tiny details that make Watchmen what mm-hmm. it is, I wanted to put this on the list. Uh, I loved this tweet from Leah Moore. Corey, you want to tell us what she had to say? Leah Moore basically said, hey, both my dad and Dave Gibbons made Watchmen, and I think that this is a beautiful acknowledgement of how comics are collaborative. And she basically was like, no, no, it's not just my dad's. And she doesn't like seeing Alan Moore's Watchmen because it is very much Dave working on plot details and Alan Moore working on visual details. It's, it's, it's all about the collaborative nature, and it's so rad. And they built it together, and she, in a follow-up tweet, uh, brought John Higgins, the colorist, uh, Mm -hmm. who's often left out, even by me, in these conversations about the people who made Watchmen what it is, uh, but who contributed in indelible, incredible ways to the world that they built together for that book. Uh, And I just thought that this was really neat. This, of course, is is Alan Moore's daughter, uh, who could... Who has many options in her life. She could say nothing <laughs> about Watchmen. She could resent it being brought up. She could be mad about behind-the-scenes circumstances about Watchmen that we've been over many, many times on shows. Yep. Some of which we will never be pr- party to all of, but which are understandably complex for everyone involved. But here's what she decided to do. Make sure Dave Gibbons is getting enough credit. In this, the moment of great eyes on Watchmen. And I just thought that was cool as heck. You are all right by us, Liam Moore. Also, you're a writer in your rule. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, please, please. I just thought that was so, so neat. All praise to Alamore, Dave Gibbons, and John Higgins. Agreed. And uh, I will also say that Damon Lindelof, in the episode, and it made the cut, so I'm not speaking out of school, uh, said that if you are a devout Alan Moore person and listen to his every word, don't watch Watchmen. <laughs> 
He literally said on the show, he's like, if you like Alan Moore, I listen to every interview. He wouldn't want you to watch this. And I was like, dude. I don't know how he's living with those contradictions. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I get it completely. I, and I don't know what I would do if I were in his position. And I am loving the show. And yet all of those complications exist. And he loves Alan Moore. And he loves Watchmen. And you see it in everything he says in the episode and everything he does. Then he, he literally breaks the fourth wall to camera and says not to watch Watchmen. <laughs> which is just the most perfect. Like, yeah, this is the time to do that. Uh, all, yeah, we, I haven't mentioned it yet. We did an episode of Comic Book Shopping with David Lindelof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is out right now. Which uh, he is... So smart, so much fun to talk to, so charismatic, uh, is a really great dude. And and showrunners aren't usually public figures, so it was really cool to talk to someone that was just so enthusiastic and well-spoken and, and just – he's such a sweaty – he's a Wednesday warrior. He goes every week to the comic book store. Oh, yeah. So it was really cool, and uh, I'm really proud of this episode because I was definitely like, oh, no, this guy's making a show I've really liked so far. Like I was intimidated by his brilliance, and he's just great. Uh, so if you are ignoring his advice and watching Watchmen, <laughs> uh, which I'm just going to assume you are and you should be because, honestly, we're two episodes in and I'm very, very hooked, uh, you uh, should be checking out – this makes me so happy and I don't I don't know if we had referenced it on the show before. Mm. So I just put it in here as if it was a new story. I think story. we missed it last week. It's cool. Um, because HBO is releasing supplemental material – Episode by episode, which if you have read Watchmen, you will immediately recognize as the style of presentation where each issue of Watchmen uh, has bonus material at the back, which expands upon and informs the world and the story that they are telling in really incredible ways, uh, but is usually something that is not strictly comics. So when they're doing TV Watchmen, they are adding non-TV pieces that you can access in between those episodes, and it is called PTpedia, which is a really cute name when you see it written, but very confusing out loud, which is how I first heard someone say it, and I, was, I thought it was the letters P and D. I don't know. PTpedia uh, is available at hbo.com slash PTpedia, uh, and it is bonus material for the episodes, which includes, for instance, the name of the incredibly exciting character who I think arrives next week, uh, but is in episode one's bonus material, and I like I can't. My head's going to explode. It's going to be great, and My- we're getting deeper and deeper into Watchmen in different ways, and oh, yes. Uh, so we, unfortunately, this is not an hour-long dive into Watchmen, which I will be reminding myself every week for the next eight to nine it's gonna weeks. It's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, but we have plenty more good stuff to talk about because two freshman comic book series got their full season orders this week. Oh, yeah. Both Batwoman on the CW and Stumptown over at ABC got full season pickups. Corey, what does that mean? That means we get an entire season of Batwoman and Stumptown from the jump. They are approved. I think we have and seven. And some BBC-style six-episode seasons. Yeah. Yeah, full like a, season. A real TV season. Because she got seven more? I, I think, feel like Batwoman. I, 13 more? I don't know. I did not check the numbers. I just, instead of a half season, it's a whole She one. gets a whole season and <laughs> Stumptown 2. Uh, and I am really happy with Stumptown because it is definitely a broad spectrum show. Anyone can enjoy it, which means it'll get entirely new people to comic book stores and comic books. Crossing our fingers. I'm very excited. Uh, I, I always just assume if a show is doing well, it means people will read comics. And I will not be told otherwise with facts or any sort of. Dear uh, Lord, I didn't, did the, I didn't do the math. Um, thank you, Greg Rucka, co-creator yeah. of both of these. Oh, yeah. Both what of a good your day for babies him. are on TV, getting full seasons. Um, you had many, many wonderful uh, co-parents on both of these, obviously. But, uh, I mean, every day is a good day to say thank you, Greg Rucka. But today especially. That's thank right. Thank you, Greg Rucka. Thank you, Greg Rucka. That's a good day for him. Yeah. Two green light extensions. So, yeah, Two awesome ladies out there in the world kicking ass. Uh, on TV. Man. Now we go to the other way. (laughs) One fewer uh, interesting pair making, uh, kicking ass on TV. (laughs) Um, Although kicking butt, uh, it's free form. Uh, We are not getting uh, the next season of Cloak and Dagger. Which is a bummer. So I guess that means their upcoming appearances in the crossover will be the final pieces of Cloak and Dagger content. Yeah. When they show up on Runaways in December. I think season three of Runaways, I'm afraid, is our last season of Runaways. And I think – I'm afraid they're going to do the Punisher thing where they announce that like the first day. But I do think uh, – I hope they go out with like this awesome crossover bang and it's the last the – la- we know it's the last time we see Cloak and Dagger. So I am excited we get to see them at least one more time. Mm. But uh, I'm really worried, which is all my bias. It's right there. It's on the table. Yeah. Well, we, we 
love our children. We do. We do. Um, our fake TV children. Uh, <laughs> We talked about this a good deal on the show this week. We don't know what this means for the future of anything. It could be, you know, there are plenty of shows that don't make it to a season three, but there are other considerations that might be going on here. We don't know what kind of deals they have in place, whether these characters are likely to show up somewhere else. It's already very strange because Cloak and Dagger uh, have been all over the Marvel Universe, but were originally introduced in the pages of Spider-Man, proving that I don't understand how those <laughs> deals work. Who owns what? It's very confusing. Uh, but, uh... You know, do you think do you think Cloak and Dagger were in a trade, or do you think they are owned Ooh. outright by Marvel, or do you think they are available to Sony for Sony's universe of uh, Marvel characters? I think they are Sony because they were introduced in Spider Man, mm-hmm. and then they were loaned out to Freeform. You think? I think. Well, these and are guesses. We don't. These know. are. Oh yeah, no, I'm not a lawyer or any sort Please of insight. Please let me into the rooms with the list of names because oh, I would I love to. Play. Like, I want to talk. To the lawyers who had to go through this and make a list of names, because were yeah. they comic book fans or were they very confused? I uh, I would assume they were one of each. Uh, yeah. I believe there was a lawyer and then a comic book person, or it was just like or Kevin Feige going yes. <laughs> but see, this was this was way back in the day. Yeah, this was whenever they made the oh, deal for right. Spider Man yeah. in the universe of characters. So this would have been like the Columbia when like Kevin is someone's assistant. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, this might have been before <laughs> he was someone's assistant. This was like Columbia TriStar because James Cameron tried to get it made, and then it went to two other companies before it landed where it did. Because there was like it was, there was a canon like C A N. I'm just deep cuts. Uh, canon Films made a Spider Man movie because they own the rights, and then they lost the rights and went to Columbia. It's a whole thing. The Spider Man saga is crazy. I know this because I researched it when we they were doing. They made one, or they were trying to make one. I think they made. I think that was the the live action like with that guy that's on the cover of Amazing Spider Man two fifty something. Mm. Remember that was that live action cover mm-hmm. that was promoting mm-hmm. a movie. But there was an upcoming thing, but I don't know if that did the movie get made or was that just a promo shot. I think that something got made. Y'all. Send us the Spider-Man. Yeah, please send us all these things. I don't normally request things (laughs) that aren't available. Send us script copies of Uh, (laughs) Spider-Man. Because we we looked into it when we were doing our our fantabulous read of uh, the Spider-Man James Cameron script. More things that did not come to be. And and in fact, the slightly mislabeled Spider-Man James Cameron script because it turns out to be the one from right before he was going to do his take on it. But That was a fun read. I'm I'm just saying. Amy and I, we killed the game. Uh, so, yes, the the next couple of things on our TV list we talked about on the show this week. Um, we're curious how the AT&T subscriber deal that is potentially on the table for HBO Max is going to affect the balance of comic book shows, what it will make possible, what it will prevent, what it will mean to us, the people watching. Uh, and then, of course, the latest in the buying spree over <laughs> at Legendary TV, who are not a channel, but they are people who are going to help put together TV shows, and they have jumped uh, in to grab... Recent indie hit Grass Kings from Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins, uh, two like absolutely wonderful comic book creators with several series under their uh, belts. This was uh, a Boom book. Uh, So Boom is, of course, one of the smaller publishers. They used to have some kind of deal with Fox. We're not sure what the deal is there. A lot of their properties landed up in the air because, of course, the Lumberjanes movie doesn't seem to be happening yeah. uh, because the Mouse Guard movie uh, got pulled. So uh, very interested to see what where all that goes. But we will get back to it when there's stuff that we can show you and tell you. Just get ahead of the curve by reading it now. I'm just saying. Matt Kent, always a good time. Buy single issues. Just saying. Buy <laughs> comics because, you know, they're making stuff. Yeah. Or get them from your library. Sweaty, sweaty, sweaty the library, library is also good. Great hashtag, by uh, the way. Send Still in a great. request for Grass Kings. Uh, Don't Google it, but it's a great hashtag. <laughs> uh, so, real life ish is our next category. We have, I know, Coy, this is your favorite topic. You're <laughs> I so saw glad. this and I was like, oh, it's back. <laughs> Return of the talking to Martin Scorsese about Marvel movies. Uh, he added some clarifying comments on this, which I think land them nicely back into the they're not for me category that we all kind of hoped he meant in the first place. Agreed. Uh, he is describing maybe like them as a different kind of art form. It is hilarious to me that Martin Scorsese is struggling for words to describe giant spectacle films when it is usually described as the arc of cinema that the 70s wave was a response to spectacular films being made by giant studios. Some of those are my favorite films of all time, like My Fair Lady is a giant spectacle (laughs) made through the studio system uh, but was part of what was being reacted to when 70s cinema was a thing, right? So it is funny to me that he's struggling to figure out how to talk about 
big spectacles with a lot of production value and a lot of heart, uh, which are obviously back in a big way, I think in a very interesting new way. But I also didn't hate the last wave of them because it produces some of my favorite films. Uh, it's just that, you know, fewer musicals, more superheroes. I can mostly live with that change. Well, you know, Oklahoma. <laughs> Sometimes you get both. Yes. Just for Amy. Yes, just specifically just for me. I am the person that that is for. Also, you know what would be great? If we got a Deadpool musical. I mean, like if I'm we got if Celine we, Dion co-writes yeah. the Deadpool musical. Because if Buffy can do it. Like I just I feel Absolutely. like it's I feel like if any Marvel character can make a comic. Have I told musical. you my crackpot theory about the end of episode one of Watchmen? No. Uh, it's look. I'm not really committed to this crackpot theory. <laughs> hey, I pitched an Elseworld in 1984. One. I gosh, it's a huge spoiler for the end of episode one. I'm going to save it and I'm going to tell it to you off the air. Okay. And my then, crackpot theory for the end of episode one of Watchmen, based on being a musical nerd. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm, I'm next week. We might in three weeks. I feel like that's the that's the barrier. <laughs> Uh, where were we? Um, oh, uh, so this, Scorsese, yes. Yeah, this whole discussion is worth it to me for Viola Davis's take. Uh, because it, as much as – and you said like it, it doesn't seem 100 percent necessary that we're asking <laughs> everyone in the world about this. But sometimes when you ask, you get really beautiful quotes. So Viola Davis was asked on a carpet about this whole Marvel movie controversy. And here's what, what she had to say at the Rome Film Festival. I do like a good Marvel movie. I do like a good DC Comics movie. Albert Einstein said that imagination is more valuable than knowledge. If I did not have my imagination, I would still be poor Viola living in Central Falls, Rhode Island, who is not considered attractive or whatever. My imagination (laughs) defined me. I could escape into a world that's infinite, a world that I could create on my own, a world where I could redefine myself. That's where art lives. Art lives in that world of imagination. It's a playground there. It's God's playground. It's not up to anyone to say what deserves to be there and what doesn't deserve to be there. It's anything that you want to be in that place can live there. And that is why we have some of the greatest painters, some of the greatest actors, some of the greatest writers. And that's why we live. So I do believe that there's a place for all of it. But then she also says uh, about Martin Scorsese, I think he was voicing his opinion. I think it's valid. Everyone has a place and an opinion. But I like a good Marvel movie. Viola Davis I did not read this quote because it was it was uh, it was a last minute ad, and I must say, all of my stress has been worth it to get to that quote. Right? Like you had to I, through this whole new I cycle had the three so weeks you could hear this. of me being like, "Stop it, please!" <laughs> got me to that quote, which means it's time to officially close the book because no one's going to top Viola Davis. You're not going to top that, as is tradition. <laughs> uh, so now we can stop asking not just Martin Scorsese, but we can stop asking people about asking about Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Like if I suddenly went on like a like a corn dog binge and I was like, yo, what do you think of corn dogs? Like I get it. Like it, let's just let it be. Where do corn dogs fall on the potato scale? Uh, corn dogs are definitely in the tater tot area because they're fun, <laughs> they're wacky, but delicious. And some people don't like them, but you should. <laughs> tater tots. <laughs> uh, yeah. So tater now tots I really want a corn dog tater tot plate, These are like a, a combo. Few of our favorite things. Uh, yeah. Oh, a little I, bit of mustard, some vinegar on the tater tots, a little ketchup, a little no. pepper. We are hungry today on Collider Heroes. <sighs> Man, I need it. Uh, mustard is yeah. the only thing you put on corn dogs, right? Like ketchup on corn dogs is weird. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever had a corn dog. You've never had a corn dog? I love fair food, but that was not on my list. Oh, it is peak I love fair corn. food. I like hot dogs. Have you had a hush puppy? Oh, of course I've had a hush puppy. It's a hush puppy around a hot dog. Effective puppies are already perfect. But hot dogs are imperfect, so you combine them and it's even better. See, a corn dog just looks like like okay. I like hot dogs. The the bun to hot dog ratio is correct. Oh yeah. The standard bun to hot dog ratio is correct. It's and the a same corn ratio. Seems like it has a different ratio. Okay, so more hot dog, less other stuff. The opening, I like the other stuff. The opening of the hot dog, where you see the hot dog within the bun. Uh-huh. Imagine it's just like you fold it over because you can fold over the bun. You can make that into a okay. cylinder. Okay, and that instead of being just bread is hush puppy corn dog sweetness. It's like cornbread wrapped around hot. There's no negative here. Okay, I'm intrigued. It's like imagine if like your favorite like imagine if apples didn't have seeds. You eat the whole thing. It's it's the best. Like you just don't have to worry about anything because okay. everything's about it's great. Okay. See, I don't eat hot dogs without ketchup though. So does it need ketchup on the corn dog? I put mustard on the corn dog. Okay. But you don't have to just because I think that like salty on the sweetness is like decadent. Okay. But like it's got to be good mustard on a good corn dog. If it's mediocre either, go plain. <laughs> Just, just straight up. Also, it's weird to put relish on it because pickles on cornbread you, be crazy. How do you put relish on a cylindrical object? You can put relish on anything. Okay. Pickles are for everyone. I mean, I, look, I, pickles are great. Yeah. 
but it's a vertical cylinder. Well, it's the same way you put mustard on it, delicately. Like, you just got to have gravity control. <laughs> this sounds so messy. It, and I love funnel It could cakes. be. I know from messy. Well, every, okay, every carny food should be messy. Okay. Like, anything at a carnival, like, should be a problem. <laughs> like, if your hands are clean at the end of eating something from a carnival, you did it wrong. It's like Ren Faire. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like when you use a fork on pizza, you better be somewhere fancy. Like, a pizza is either made to be folded in half and shoved into your gullet or, like, held by the crust and eaten. Like, either way, it's a handsy food. Yeah. Like, if it's a big slice, fold. Otherwise, that's, yeah. So, corn dog, you have a certain amount of prep, mental fortitude to handle <laughs> toppings on a corn dog. Are Why haven't we done a food show yet? Because we don't know it. Well, I don't know anything about food. What? You I, know enough about food. I'm sure. But, like, I think, I think, I, Amy, like, we do hot ones, but it's just me showing you food. Like, like here's this thing you should have eaten by now. <laughs> It's just different types of potatoes and different types of, like, corn dogs. I'm in. Also, like, frozen corn dogs are very cheap. Uh, like, state fair corn dogs uh, are, like, less than a dollar each. Is that a brand name? Actually, I don't know. I think it's a brand name. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, picturing like, the box. State fairs are a thing. Yeah, but I think there's a state fair company. All right. Uh, and, like, on my on my leaner weeks, it is, like, less than a dollar a meal. <laughs> it, when times get tough, ramen and corn dogs. Quick question. Okay. How do you stay so fit eating all these corn dogs? So the trick is you work out more. Okay. When you're eating cheaper, which is hard because you're more tired because you're eating cheaper. So it's a matter of willpower. Because right. your sodium levels are jacked when you're eating ramen. Like you're in a bad way. So you have to drink extra water so you don't like bloat and your your cholesterol not cholesterol, your your blood sugar's not happy. So it's a matter of like Chris Evans fortitude. I'm just gonna say, uh I am not a doctor. Koi is not a doctor. Please do not take our advice on, on health. Yeah, please. Uh, when when I'm saying like eat this way when you can't afford it but work out more, that is coming from some Someone who makes bad life choices. If you listen to this show, you know that I have statistically messed up a lot. Koi body crimes, everyone. Koi body crimes. Koi crimes to self here on Giant Size <laughs> No, Heroes. but it, it is interesting advice, and, and that gets into a ton of real-world concerns about how tough and difficult it is with, like, the balance between time and money and access and that is required to try to take care of yourself in this modern world, incredibly thorny, incredibly difficult. So actually, uh, that was a real question. Like, yeah, no. how do you adapt and take care of yourself in these settings where you might be eating food that is maybe not designed to sustain you? Extra hydrate and be aware when you bonk. Like, you will crash. You will be running one day and you'll do less miles because you only ate corn dogs. <laughs> But yeah, like I, legit good advice and new information for me. Freelancing means you have to be aware of your uh, your your finances whilst working out. Sometimes so, it's not worth it. I have a lot of peanut butter related questions to ask you because that's my usual. <gasps> me uh, too. That's my go-to. <laughs> okay. My excellent. old Twitter bio was just peanut butter enthusiast, and then I realized I should be a professional, and I changed it to my We're shows. Very classy. It's all potatoes and peanut butter here. Uh, and uh, I like I like the reduced fat because you don't have to stir it. <laughs> it's not about the fat content. It's about the stirring. <laughs> Guys, I want to do this show. I want to do an Amy and Koi food breakdown because we're at like minute six of this. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, we are losing the studio today, so we have to <laughs> try to get through the rest of this. Uh, not losing in any permanent way, just we have a time we're supposed to be watching. Uh, and it is time to talk about comics. Yes. What couldn't we get to on this week's list? Which is, a reminder, Marvel's Excalibur number one, DC's Joker, Killer Smile number one, DC's Basket Full of Heads number one, the first of the Hill House books, Marvel's Fantastic Four Grand Design number one, and Boom's Giant Days as Time Goes By number one, the series finale of John Allison's Giant Days. Well, we talked about those very briefly. Uh, I do want to say the Lemire-Sorrentino combo is one of my favorites in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. They worked on Green Arrow together, I believe. I think they also did Old Man Logan, if I remember correctly. They've been all over the place. They've been, they've been doing stuff. So I like them together. I love the idea of them in Joker books. I'm really excited for this book. And it is also a DC Black Label book, which means if you buy it in print, it is a real, real sexy album size. Uh, and I'm a big fan of that. And then I also wanted to say that... Uh, all of the new X-Men books, which I've only read two of, but I've been really enjoying uh, Marauders and X-Men. I think it's a great place to start if you're not an X-Men fan. Um, I don't think – I keep getting asked – like tons of people keep asking if they're going to base the movies off this new stuff. There's so much continuity that you'd have to explain in no time. I don't think the MCU is going to touch on the Hickman stuff. Uh, but it's definitely a good place if you're a comic fan to pick up a number one. Yeah. And the, I think that the essence is just characters who get shown off to advantage in these series – are going to be the late. They are drawing on the same well of deep history and creativity that is going to inform the movies. Now, I would say if we see any fallout from this to the movies, here is the form I expect it would take. 
if there is one particular reinvention or re-spotlighting of a character that goes, like, wildly popular in the manner of 2012's Captain Marvel, where they took a character. Carol Devers was not new, yeah. but there was a new version of her that took the world by storm. And it is not a coincidence, I'm going to say, <laughs> that that wildly popular reinvention of an existing character did lead to movie consequences. I would say if there is something from this era that meaningfully changes, like if there's a new version we fall massively in love with here, I would not be surprised if they show up later uh, and get their own movie or thing. But Because that is just Marvel being smart and knowing when they have a good thing going. But for my money, which is completely uninformed about background material, I think Hickman's just doing Hickman. And Marvel books are just doing Marvel books. And Kevin Feige only got creative authority over them like last week. You know who I think is going to be? A breakout and, and maybe a movie because it's already been developed. I think Kitty Pride. Well, come on. It's I think Kate Pride is, but I think her uh, intro, her Marauders uh, intro, uh, plus her history, plus her history in the movies. I think Kitty Pride's are, are a big breakout. Look, it is past time for Kitty Pride. I mean, guys. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Kevin Feige's a comic book head. He already knows Kitty Pride. He's important. heard of this Kitty he Pride. Knows this. Does he this know is this? Not, this is Claremont. This is Claremont era. Did you see that wonderful breakdown someone is doing where they are doing statistical analysis on the Claremont run and they're coming up with all these incredible charts? Who talks the most? Who has the most thought bubbles? Who has the most talk, speech bubbles per appearance in the issue? They're crunching the numbers on 16 years or something like I, that's the whole run. I don't know if they're doing the whole run, but they are analyzing all of this stuff issue by issue. And it results in some amazing facts like Storm is the best and Kitty Pride is super important and Chris Claremont outdid basically anyone working in any media in terms of having incredible female characters on the page in major 80s franchise. And also let's all point out that even the worst comic fans, as in like bad handling of comics, call Claremont Byrne the golden age of X-Men. So it's a pretty cool thing that those people that might have different opinions can look at that and go like, oh, I guess so. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty rad that Claremont has handled things that way because it is – I think of X-Men as such a female-driven book with a side of like do Cyclops better. And it's funny uh, because it's not like – it's close to 50-50 I think in terms of the teams. It's just that everything else neglects women so much that when something shows up that pays 50, attention 50, to them, yeah. it looks exceptional. Right. Uh, and, and that's uh, being fixed. That's yeah. what's being worked on. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm really excited to see this statistical analysis. Also, that is a great sign of people like using their weird free time in awesome ways. Yes, thank I'm you to very... the people who I forgot to look up the names of who are doing this project. Uh, if someone tweets me the link to it or I'll find it myself, I will retweet it to give them a proper shout out because I'm enjoying the fruits of your labor, but I forgot to look up who you are. It's a lot of time, so thank you. I just, I mean, like in general, I think that, I think that as the robot overlords take us over, there's going to be a beautiful golden age where we have free time, but before we're killed, and that is, I hope, what we get out of it, stuff like this. Because when Skynet activates, we will have had a lot of free time first, because it's going to be very automated. We'll be living beautifully before we're crushed, and I'll make some comic stats out of it. All right. Uh, before, before we run out of time in here, uh, I will put on, because it is Halloween, because it is our spooky episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's literally Halloween today, first of all, please send us your cool Halloween costumes, if they are comic book related, or if they're just neat. Uh, and we will talk, I mean, I'm going to just impulsively promise that we will talk about whatever cool ones you send us, yep. uh, at least a couple of them, on the show next week, because that's the best. Uh, and do you have a fave spooky comic or comics adaptation that you want to shout out this week, Coy? I want to shout out Red Goblin. What? A Red, Red Goblin? Go Red Goblin? Can <laughs> it be? Uh, Red Goblin was a character that I didn't expect to like uh, in a run that I wasn't enjoying of Spider-Man that I'm absolutely all about. Uh, Red Goblin's a really fun take on Norman Osborn. Uh, it was a Dan Slott uh, creation, but it is right now... Right at the end of that one. Yes, yeah, right at the very tail end, but it is now being written by my boy Rob Fee. Uh, my friend Rob is a a comedy writer you probably know his work he does a lot of very funny things him making spider-man just makes all the sense and then on top of that there's a variant cover by chris daughtry now i am okay. not what? <laughs> i'm not much of a country guy but i can respect success if anyone is that successful at an art they're good at it i don't understand country music but chris daughtry is a name even i know Daughtry is apparently such a comic fan that he drew a variant cover to Red Goblin number one. It is one of the covers you can pick up at your store by Daughtry, and he is also friends with uh, Rob and Paul. Oh, Daughtry's like in that like comic like world of, of like that whole thing. 
Um, and that would be Rob Liefeld yep. and a uh, real life behind the scenes friend Paul. Uh, just for folks who don't know who that was. But like mm-hmm. he's like friends with those guys. Aww. So Daughtry is a comic head and drew a cover. And I just like wanted so to show some love. So he's in there with Ryan Sands in the wait, wait. wait How wait, many wait. talents? Huh? Mm, too many talents. Too many talents. Put some back. Easy. Save Let us some also have for some the rest stuff. of us, but also don't. Please keep making. Drew art. a Spidey cover, Chris Daughtry. <laughs> so that's my Halloween book uh, this this season. Uh, Rob Fee, great dude, great writer, and he's writing Red Goblin. Uh, in honor of the launch of Hill House Comics, the imprint that Joe Hill is overseeing for DC that I'm still going to mentally think of as a Vertigo book, even though it technically is not. <laughs> uh, but it'll be a Black Label book next month. That's yes. an update. They're, they're putting it on all the mature reader's titles. Uh, Joe Hill is launching that with Basketful of Heads, which looks like it's going to be fantastic. But if you are not yet familiar, you might want to dive into a book called Lock and Key. Yeah. Joe Hill co-created that with Gabriel Rodriguez, who is an incredible artist. Just amazing. He's doing an Arthur riff right now called Sort of Ages That Rules. Uh, He's doing a Dr. Moreau thing. Uh, But Lock and Key is about a family who, due to uh, content warning circumstances, um, an upsetting thing happens in the manner of many horror books. And in the fallout of it, this family moves into their ancestral mansion. But it is not an ordinary house in Lovecraft, uh, the town that they live in. Uh, Massachusetts, I think I want to say. Um, yeah, I was going to say, who will know this? I was the like, top come of on, head? if anything takes place in Mass, I got you. In my brain, I was like, is it Maine? It feels like it should be Maine. It's Massachusetts. It's his pops. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Lock and Key is a wonderful story about a very special house. It is spooky and upsetting, and there, it's a, it's a, it is a horror title. Do not give it to kids, but also you will fall in love with this family. You will root for them. You will be on the edge of your seat in on every page of the, I think, six and a half volumes of Lock and Key. It is a done story. You can go out and get it at your local comic book store. Spook yourself or a person you love this <laughs> Halloween uh, with Lock and Key. Coming soon to Netflix. <laughs> yeah, which is exciting. Get on it before it gets there. Yeah, which read is it also before. doing Sandman. There's so many good options, y'all. Guys, it's a good time. It's a good time. Now, until next time, where we do get to Twitter questions, because we got some good ones, yeah. but we'll get to them next time. But until next time, stay Thanks, sweaty. Buddy. It's that little Chico Pit Boomer, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.